that it would be you that stirs our hearts this morning and draws us nearer to you. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
Oh! 
Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bond by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. Another one. 
I am free because he picked me up. He turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the master. I thank the savior because he healed my heart. He changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3, and then also Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple texts here this morning. Um, title of my message is Maintaining Christian Credibility at Home and Beyond. So Maintaining Christian Credibility at Home and Beyond. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he lives, the Bible says we live. We live in him. He's the first of the resurrection. When we receive Christ as our Savior, he comes and he dwells within our hearts. He lives with us throughout our lives. He has prepared a heavenly home for us. But he wants to go through the journey of life with us. And in that journey, we must maintain credibility as a Christian. So I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 2 on down. And we're going to find the apostles do a miracle. And in the miracle that they do, it triggers some community reaction. And then it all depends on their credibility as how the community is going to continue to respond. So listen to the miracle first. Acts chapter 3 verses 2 on down. It says, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And so I want you to understand historically, this is a common practice at the time. This young man was born with a disability from his mother's womb and he could not work. So they would bring him to the temple. There he would sit outside the temple gate and he would ask alms. And as the people came by, they would go ahead and give him small amounts of money. As a community, they supported and cared for those who could not work. So as we come down into verse 3, it says, Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping, stood up, walked, entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And I want you to just grasp for a moment the event that just took place. Somebody has, who has never walked in their life, they were born with a deformity, a crippling, uh, I guess, deformity. But so as you, as you envision all the, the muscles, all the tendons, everything would be shrunk and drawn up. He would not be somebody who went to months or years of physical therapy. All of a sudden, God reached down and miraculously healed and remade all that was preventing him from walking. So when you see the text and it says that he stood up jumping, leaping, and praising God, just imagine in your life having never walked, having all your life, the only way you could make a living was to ask for alms, asking for people to help support you, and all of a sudden you are completely made whole and healed. Wow! This guy is beside himself with excitement. Second thing would happen, though. 
there would be a stir among the community, wouldn't there? People would be talking about this event. This is an incredible, miraculous event. This is something nobody had ever seen before, and everybody would be talking about it. However, along with that are the religious leaders of that day, who are a bit jealous of all that has been going on. They were skeptical, suspicious, distrusting, and hateful towards Jesus Christ. And now here all of a sudden his apostles, his disciples, have these miraculous powers. They're going to create a stir as well. A stir of discontent. So let's move over to chapter 4 and look with me, if you would, down to verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, the leadership, the religious leaders of that day brought them in and threatened them and said, do not be speaking of this name of Jesus anymore. Do not be doing these things. In fact, middle of verse 21, how they might punish them. They threatened them with punishment because of the people for all men glorified God for that which was done. So these religious leaders, they're, they're threatening Peter and his comrades. They're threatening them with punishment but they're not going to punish them. Why? Because they fear the community. Because the community is hearkening and listening and watching and seeing. Look at verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. 40 years old. So think of Brother John standing here playing the guitar and singing. John is just knocking on the door of 40. It's not quite there yet. I think he's two years off. Just knocking on the door of 40. So all throughout the community, people have said, isn't that the guy who sat outside the gate beautiful and who, who asked for alms? He had never walked since birth. It is. All through the community, people are talking this incredible miracle. The religious leaders, they're angry, they're resentful. They, 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 they want to shut down the ministry of Christ's apostles. So they threaten them. But they're afraid. Because of the reputation of the apostles. They had done the ministry of good. They'd not stolen. They'd not lied. They'd not created an insurrection. They'd not gone ahead and lived licentious lives. They had been honest, upright, godly men. So as we come down in the text, look at what takes place. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined to be done. And now, O Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the, thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they had assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. 
When we pick it up down here in verse 21, after the miracle, after the confrontation with the chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders of the day, we find these apostles being released and they go forth. And we see some lessons to learn from them about our lives. Because their life at this point is in great jeopardy, isn't it? They've gone ahead and angered, ever since Jesus, they've angered the religious leaders of that day. Those religious leaders saw to it that Christ was crucified. We know that they're gunning for the apostles as well. The only thing that is protecting them is what the community has seen of them. Their reputation in doing ministry and being a part of the people in the area. We learn something from them. Because you and I, while the Bible tells us we are in this world, it tells us not to be of this world. Don't live like everybody else lives. You don't, you don't have to do pot and alcohol. You don't have to run around and cheat on your spouse and lie and steal. You don't have to do all the sins of the world. Why? Because you're a Christian. You've made a choice to follow Christ like these apostles. So we have to go ahead and set a trajectory in our lives and decide we are going to guard our reputation for Christ's sake. And that's what happens here. So I want you to see with me this morning four things that we can do to help maintain a Christian credibility in our community, in our homes, and beyond. The first one is I want you to see that we need to have a faultless reputation. Look with me at verse 21 in our text. So when they had further threatened them, this is the high priest and the elders of the Jewish community, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Because of the people, for all the men glorified God for that which was done. You see, you and I, we need to understand that our reputation is of great value. In fact, Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor worth more than silver and gold. You and I in our, in our lives, it is important that we live a life even as these apostles. People who they cannot find anything to, to cast fault on. It should be that we strive to, to watch over what we do and what we say and how we go about our lives and how we do our business. The apostles did and they were just people like us. Don't ever buy into the idea that somehow these guys were incredibly different than you. They weren't. They were just men chosen to follow Christ. And as they followed Christ, he developed them spiritually just as he is doing in your heart and in your life. And these are just men who live their lives to the glory of God. Just like you and I do all the time. So as we look in this text... We understand it starts off with a faultless reputation. We ourselves have a great plan given to us in the book of Philippians on how we can guard our thoughts and our deeds. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he says here. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So he just talked to us about our mind, what to put in and store and develop in our thinking process. Now listen to verse 9. Those things which we have both learned and received and heard and seen do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I want you to notice when he talks about all the things that we have learned, received, heard, and seen. He says, of me. 
He's talking to you and I about what we find in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul's writings and teachings. He's saying, listen, there are things we need to think about and there are things we need to do in our lives. And those things should be governed by the word of God. So for you and I, he has just given to us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, a method by which we can guard our reputation. We can guard our lifestyle. We can practice our Christianity. That's exactly what the apostles had done. So we start off by seeing in verse 31, they had a faultless reputation. The, if they could have gotten them on any technicality, they would have. But there wasn't anything to get them on. The second thing I want you to see is they had sincere and genuine faith. Look at what takes place in verse 23 of our text. In being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So we step back and we say, okay, well, what is he talking about? They went unto their own company. Who did they go unto? They went unto their church family. The scriptures teach us that as the church gathered, they went and they met with those people and said, we want to tell you what just happened with the chief priests and the elders of Israel, the, the elders of Jerusalem. I want you to understand all that's being accused, all that's being pressed, all that's being um, threatened upon us. He's, they went to their church and they shared that news. So I want to take you there and I want you to understand that their sincerity and faith was linked to their church. They were a real part of a Christian worshiping community. This morning when uh, Fonda came up and gave her announcement about the women's center and then she said, and Martin and I are moving away. And when they told me they were moving, I thought, oh, I'm sad to hear that. I told them that I was sad to hear that. I have tried hard to change their mind, just as I have with Ashley. And Ashley keeps telling me, Pastor, I'm going home. And Fonda and Martin, you know, they're going to move down. They've got family down there in Pennsylvania. Many different reasons why they're moving down there. But we're going to miss them. Why? because they're part of our church family. Why are we gonna miss Ashley? Because she does a great job and she's become part of our church family. These folks, as you look at this, these folks are part of their church family. They have gone ahead and been threatened by their community leaders. And where did they go? They went to their church and they gathered together with them. Sometimes people are confused about what church is. Church is people. But the very word church is the Greek word ekklesia. And the Greek word ekklesia means called out assembly. It actually comes from the, the legal structure of the Greek day. And it meant people who were called out and gathered together almost like a jury at a court. They're called out of the community and they're called together and assembled together for a purpose. Well, that Greek word was adopted for the church. And it just means God is called out of this world an assembly of people to do his work, to represent him in this world. And you and I, as God adds to his church, as he adds us one unto another, we become a part of what Christ established with the 12 and has carried on through all these years. So here we find the apostles. We find them threatened. Where did they go? They went to their church and there they practiced their faith. And I want you to notice the practice of their faith. We pick it up in verse 24 down through 31. Listen to the first thing that they do. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They went to prayer. Your church family prays for you and should pray for you. You and I should pray for one another. Whatever's transpiring in your life, whether you're celebrating, we're getting ready to see um, William 
I don't see Hillary. Hillary's getting ready to have a baby soon, isn't she? How, how, how close? Three or four weeks. Three or four weeks. And you know what? We're praying for her. Praying that she has a healthy delivery, healthy baby. We pray for that in celebration, don't we? But we've also had folks who have gone through deep waters, haven't we? I see Mary over here. Mary was on vacation and she had a stroke. And so we as a church, we went together and we prayed for Mary. Whether it be the celebration of a birth or the struggle of a health incident, we as a church lift up our voices to God. That's part of our genuine and sincere faith. And that's exactly what takes place here. They went to their church, and their church, when they heard of their situation, lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that therein is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said. So all of a sudden we learn something about their faith. Not only did they go to their church, not only did they pray, they knew their Bible. Did you notice that? It's important, church. If you and I are going to have a genuine faith, we need to know the word of God. Amen? Let's say that a little bit more like we mean it. If we're really going to be practicing our faith, we should know our Bible. Amen? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So when you look at this text, what does he say? He says, God, I know that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and all things therein. They know this because they've been taught it since their birth. That the book of Genesis, Genesis teaches that. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and also, I know that David has given to us. And how does he know this? David's long gone. But David has given us his word. He had written for us texts. And so he says to us, I know my Bible, Lord. Yes, I know that out of the mouth of thy servant, in verse 25, David said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? He's literally quoting out of the scriptures. Verse 26, he says, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So he has gone ahead and taken his knowledge of the Bible and now he has brought it to his practical life. He's saying, God, I know that you said through your word that David said, why does the heathen rage? And Lord, here I am now living as an apostle. Here we are as a church praying for our church leaders. And Lord, we see now the application of what David said in the Old Testament to our lives here in the New Testament. Our faith should be genuine enough that when we go to God in prayer, we know God through his word. And we can take his word and see how it works in our life today. This is not some abstract book. This is a living book that every generation takes and looks in and says, yes, I can see my life. I can see God at work in my life through his word. Look at what goes on as he comes down. As we see the church talking to the Lord. Verse 27. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined to be done. That is a deep truth they just said to God. They said, God, we know that you had David talk about the heathen raging. We saw how that Herod, Pontius Pilate, rose up against the Lord Jesus Christ. We see how our persecution is taking place. And we see how we fit into this. They're taking all of what they know of the Bible as a church. They're bringing it up before God. And they're saying, God, we know our place is where you have us. 
and your hand is at work. They said, we see how it is your hand at work. And in our lives, it is also the same. Look again with me down there, verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. In you and my life, listen, God is at work. Whatever's transpiring in your life, God has not forgotten you. You're not invisible to him. He sees and knows. Just as he saw and knew what was transpiring at this very time in their lives. They're saying to him, we understand the, the history of it. We understand the application of it. And we see your hand at work in it. Our faith has to be sincere enough to see that, that living work within our souls. But I want to take us to the third point. First one was, we saw they had a faultless reputation. Second one is, they had a sincere faith. The third one I want you to see with me is that they had clear unity. Whether it's in our family, our church, our, communi our community, even our nation, we should strive towards unity. Amen? Amen? One nation under God is part of our pledge. Somehow our nation has forgot that we're supposed to work towards unity, not disunity and discord. Amen. And somehow many people have brought that right into their families, even into their faith, where they think everything is supposed to be discord. Everything has to be a protest. You know, I, I, I thank the Lord, Sandra, Joe and I, are, we're getting too old to stand up in the middle of dinner and start protesting, you know. <laughs> But I think sometimes people think that's what's supposed to happen. No, actually, the Lord loves unity. Look with me, if you would, at the first part of verse 24 of chapter 4 of Acts. It says, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Unity. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 32. It says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Unity. Unity is a real part of our credibility. If we are constantly in discord, if we are constantly in chaos, if we're constantly in uprising, then people don't see peace or harmony in us at all. We're always in an uproar. If you're constantly in an uproar, if you're constantly opposing everybody and everything, you are a very unhappy person. You have to draw together. In your family, draw together. In your church, draw together. In your community, find people of like mind and draw together. We as a nation, how I long to see a unity return to where we're not constantly bashing each other. Here we look. These men, they, they maintain Christian credibility through a flawless reputation. Sincere faith and clear unity. Matthew 12 verse 25 says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If your marriage is constantly banging, 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 can only bang so long before it breaks. You have to step back. You have to say, hey, listen, let's, let's stop the banging and let's work through this and find unity. It's such an integral part of life. Uh, in your bulletin is a promotion to go to a couples conference. It's a one-day couples conference conference up in St. Albans, uh, Northside Baptist Church up there, bringing in a special speaker just for couples, marriage, talking about these very things. It's important to work on the relationship. Here, we find these folks coming together in unity. When we look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, we find a text that reminds us that God desires us to come together. 
and maintain unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. We should work at that and strive towards that, whether it be in our home, our church, our community, our nation. We should desire to reflect a spirit of unity. The fourth one I want you to see is in verse 32, the last part. Look with me if you would in the last part of our text this morning. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed. And that word ought is an old English word that's saying, none of them said that any of the things that they possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. They shared. They helped one another. The church in Jerusalem, and that's who this is about, the church in Jerusalem was struggling Christ had been crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended. The apostles are trying to pull the church together. They're being threatened. People are losing their jobs. People are being exiled out of their families. People are being hunted down. It's a dangerous time to be a Christian. And so as they looked at one another, they said, can I help you? Can I help you? Do you have enough groceries? Are you okay? Or has your family thrown you out because you're a Christian? Can we help you? Can we shelter you? Can we, what can we do to help you? You see, generosity is a real part of Christianity. It's a real part of who we are. Whether, we, whether our generosity is shown right here at our home or right here in our church, or whether we show generosity in our community or beyond into our world through world missions. It should be that we are generous people. They were generous people. It's interesting that the whole event started with the healing of a man who was a beggar. Alms, alms. That was what he would do all day long as people passed by going into the temple. Alms. And people would look and they'd know this man can't work. It's part of our culture and our society to maybe just give them the smallest amount. Everybody does their part. But it started out with him simply reaching out. And John and Peter said, hey, wait, look, look over here. Look over here. And he looked in anticipation. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give to you. And he reached out, he took him by the hand, and through the miracle of God, God reconstructed his legs. He stood up, he leaped, he jumped, and he praised God. But it started with an act of generosity. Because John and Peter could have said, listen, we're really busy, don't bother us. There's lots of other people who have changed. We don't have anything with us, you're good. Could have done that. They didn't. So you and I, part of our family, our church, our community, it should be that we maintain our credibility as not only being a people of pure reputation, not only people of great faith, not only people in unity working one with another, but it should be we are generous people. It should be a part of who we are. You know, even when we call ourselves Christians, we must always remember how generous Christ was and is. Because he came to give it all for you and I. He left heaven above. And he came down and took upon himself the form of a man, the Bible says. Born of a virgin in a poor, humble family. Can you imagine leaving heaven as God and, and submitting yourself to such humble circumstances? Why? Just so that you could give. For God gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He gave. 
And he still gives. Bible teaches us Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. Even the prayers that we cannot pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Giving, 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 God giving in our lives. We should be generous people. It should be a part of who we are. Look at your neighbors. Look at your family. Look at the circumstances of the world we live in. You are probably some of the most blessed people in the world. We need to care. Care enough to be generous. Christ loves you so much that he gave it all. And he calls us to be Christians. We need to be generous. I'm going to ask Brother Kurt to dismiss us in prayer. And in doing so, pray for... Brian Fetcher's family, he passed away. Pastor Brian passed away last Easter, just, just one week ago today. And pray for your wife as she's recovering from surgery. And then I think John has a chorus for us to close. Lord, I thank you for this evening, this morning, where we can come to your house and, and to study your word and sing praises to you. And I do thank you for all the blessings you give us. And, I ask that you'd be with uh, those that are struggling. I think of my wife, Rachel, and just help her through this time of surgery and, and healing. And I ask you to be with Brian Fetcher's family, that um, you would just comfort them and, and use those people around him to um, be your uh, messengers from you and, and, um, and just comfort him through them. And, um, I, and uh, thank you for all this. I ask that as we go our ways, we would not forget those things that we learned this morning, that we would take them and apply them in our lives and use them to grow and to um, come closer to you. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory.